Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. We had on Sunday, and we'll have another great day this Sunday. And we are in the Daniel Chronicles. We're going to continue in this complex yet interesting book called the book of Daniel and I've said this before but I'll say it again if you just stay on your candy sticks as a believer you just you just camp out on the scriptures that you're familiar with that you've 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 gotten the understanding regarding those scriptures uh, first of all you never get a full understanding there's always something deeper it's like an onion just keep peeling it back it makes you cry sometimes but when you go into the book of Daniel and some of these prophets and these prophetic books, it's not easy. But if you'll go there, there's blessing. There's stuff that's really encouraging. And there's stuff that's very, very relevant and contemporary. And so that's where we are. We're in the Daniel Chronicles. This is part 13. We're going to finish up chapter 8 tonight, I hope, and jump into chapter 9. And uh, we'll do a little review and introduction and jump right in. So let me say a prayer as we get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of the Lord that's found in the study of your word. You said, Lord, that you would make wise the simple. And you said, Lord, that your word was filled with power. And Father, we just pray that you would show us the truth of your word. Let faith come by hearing the word. Strengthen us in our faith. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So I want to jump straight into it because this will be part of the review and the intro. Verses 15 through 17 of Daniel chapter 8. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now this is the first mention of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel in your Bible. And every time we see him, he's on a messianic mission. It has something to do with Messiah. He's always speaking. As a matter of fact, there are three archangels mentioned in your Bible. And they're not necessarily all called archangels. Michael is, but we understand that uh, there are three, and I could get into the reasoning behind it. But there are, there are basically three archangels that are in your Bible. And they are Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Uh, Gabriel is always speaking. Michael's always fighting. And then you have Lucifer, who apparently was very musical, very worshipful, and his story is tragic, but he is still around. He was changed from Lucifer to, you know, the devil, Satan, what have you. But there are those three archangels. There's a hierarchy in the spirit realm. There's a hierarchy. And they were kind of top tier in that hierarchy. And Gabriel... Like I said, he's always speaking. He only spoke to three people that we know of in the Bible, at least specifically mentioned, and that would be Daniel, Zechariah, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
He's the one that delivered the chosen name, John, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he's the one that delivered the name Jesus to Mary. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Now, we're going to see the archangel Michael in chapters 10 and 12 of the book of Daniel, and he's also mentioned in Jude and Revelation. Gabriel, so begins in our reading here and, and uh, on into it, he begins to explain to Daniel what the ram and the he-goat represent in, in the near future, and then he hints to the far future as to what is meant by the ram and the he-goat. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to some of the earlier versions of this uh, from, from chapter 8, and, and you'll, you'll be able to catch up. Let's look at verses 18 through 26 and just go ahead and jump into this. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in deep a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time, the end shall be. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And we've seen this before. This is not the first... Um, iteration of, of these nations being represented in dreams. These are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. Now really, that's fascinating. I'll just say this right here. Macedonia, it, it was more well known, as at least you could see it as maybe being a global power or a conquering power at the time. This is 200 years before Alexander the Great comes on the scene. And, and instead of mentioning Macedonia, he mentions Greece. Alexander the Great's dad was Philip of Macedon, and, and, but, but Greece, the kingdom of Greece, this was a far stretch. This is why a lot of critics say there's no way this could have been written when it was written because he, there's no way he could have known this. Well, Daniel couldn't have known it, but God revealed it to him, right? So the large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation. And that would be the successors of Alexander the Great. We've talked about it, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, notice that, it's, it's a transition here. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told, is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. Now, the prophecy in this passage dealing with this king applies to both Antiochus and the Antichrist. We looked at that last time in great detail. The nearby future and the far away future, the latter time when the transgressors have reached their fullness. And here are some facts about Antiochus and Antichrist. I want you to notice some parallels. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Okay, so 
Antiochus was known for his flattering and his smooth, silver-tongued chicanery. The same will be true of Antichrist. Uh, Daniel 9, uh, uh, 27 says that he'll make a covenant with Israel. It's a very deceptive uh, deceptive situation. He's going to lie to them, but he's smooth enough to, to reel them in. The whole world will wonder after him, the Bible says. Antiochus was that way, but the Antichrist will be that way also. The text says the king who arises is fierce and sinister. Antiochus Epiphanes was known for his brutality, extreme brutality, and the Antichrist will be the same, the same way. Antiochus Epiphanes' power was otherworldly. He, he, was, he was empowered by Satan, and it speaks of this power that he has, but it's not of himself. The same will be true of Antichrist. Antiochus Epiphanes thrived and prospered. He looked like a total success, and the Antichrist will look that way too. He's going to look like a winner in all respects until Jesus utterly defeats him. Antiochus Epiphanes destroyed his enemies and severely persecuted God's enemies. Antichrist will do the same thing. That's how he will roll as well. Deceit is something that distinguishes both Antiochus Epiphanes in the past and Antichrist who is coming in the future. I want you to listen to this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. Listen to this. This is speaking of the Antichrist. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So this idea of signs, all power, signs, and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception, that is like a virus. Our world's obsessed with a virus right now. So deception is like a virus, but there is a vaccine for that virus, and it is a love of the truth. A vaccine stimulates the immune system. I don't fully understand it. I've read a little bit about it. But in this case, just bear with me, it looks to me like if you'll love the truth, it will build this immunity in your system to where you are inoculated against deception. You know the truth so well, you recognize deception. That's why we dig into the word. I'm going to tell you, the devil is a liar. Now, that's not cliche. It's easy to say that, but it's not cliche. He's always lying to you. You're not going to make it. Like It's not just like uh, there is no God. No, it's not just that. You can say, well, I believe in God. And he'll just say, well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, there is a God, but he don't love you. You're not going to make it. He knows what you did. That's too big and bad and ugly for him to deal with. He's written you off. The devil's a liar. That's deception. In the same way that false doctrine is, is 
taking some truth, mixing it with lie and diluting it and getting you to believe some kind of lie. The devil's always lying and trying to get us to buy it. But, but when, when you get, the deeper you go into to, to the truth, the more truth you get on the inside, the more you're able to recognize and resist deception. Of all stripes, be it some kind of religious deception, the, the devil telling you that you're unworthy and, and, and you're, you know, God would never have anything. Of course I'm unworthy, but he died for me anyway. Well, that's the beauty of the gospel. Why am I thinking that he only died for worthy people? There wouldn't be anybody to die for. None of us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So, so when the devil, that's an easy one to deal with, but, you know, it doesn't always feel that way. And that's another problem. Deception will often ride in on your feelings. And your feelings have to trump the, that, I mean, your, the word has to trump your feelings. The word has to trump your feelings. So, so it looks to me like all power, signs, lying, wonders, and deception, that's the virus. But the vaccine is love the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. And notice this. The devil does signs and wonders. If you follow signs and wonders just based on, well, that was pretty awesome, you're vulnerable. You're setting yourself up to be deceived. These are lying signs. Jesus didn't say you'll follow signs. He said signs would follow the believer. What does the believer believe? Word. You believe word signs follow you. But if you start following signs, I've said it before, that makes you weird. You become, a, 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 I call it a California Christian, right? It's like nuts and fruits. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because they raise nuts and they raise fruit out there, you know? So I'm just saying, it makes you, it makes you weird, like a granola bar Christian. Maybe that's what I should say. It's, um, it makes you weird. And let me say this too. Be careful who you follow, no matter how charismatic they may be. Are they speaking truth? Word. Word. Your word is truth, Jesus said. And so the devil can do tricks. I call them the tricks of the Spirit. You know, you have the gifts of the Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have the tricks of the Spirit. The devil flows in the tricks of the Spirit. There were sorcerers in Egypt that duplicated the miracles that Moses did. Those first two miracles especially. They were able to duplicate them, turn water into blood. That's pretty awesome, man. But it wasn't the same source of power that made it happen. One was done by the creator of heaven and earth, Jehovah, the almighty God. The other one was done by the devil. But in that third plague and on, they, they, they couldn't keep up. And those sorcerers said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, we can't do this. This is the spirit of God, we can't do that. The, the power of God will far excel the power of the devil, but don't be deceived, the devil's got power. He is a supernatural being. He knows how to bend the rules. He knows how to trick human beings. So you had those sorcerers in Egypt, but you also had Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. You had Simon Bar-Jesus, who was a sorcerer in Acts chapter 13, who everybody said that he's the great power of God. You've got these stories of, 
And if we think that that all ended like the devil quit years ago, he's still on the job. He's a good devil. He didn't quit. Well, it got quiet there. I mean, he's a good devil in that he's, he's doing his job. He's deceptive. He's evil. He's wicked. He's not good, but he's, he's, uh, he's good at what he does. And the way, the way to, to keep yourself from being deceived is to love the truth. Are you with me? Verse 25 says, He rose against the prince of princes. Antiochus Epiphanes hated the people of God. But the, the point is this, he really hated God. And the Antichrist will be the same way. He will, he will hate the people of God, but it's really a, a beef that he has with God. He wants to stop the plans and purposes of God. Verse 25 goes on to say that he will be broken without human means. History says Antiochus Epiphanes died of a disease, not at the hands of man. Similarly, neither will Antichrist. Jesus will strike him down, I guess you could say, at the hands of the man Christ Jesus, our Savior. But Revelation 19.20 tells that story. Daniel is told to seal up the vision because ultimately it will be filled in a far away time. And Revelation 1.3 tells us, us, really, that that time is near. The book has been unsealed, I think, Revelation. As we went through our Revelation series, we saw some of this. It's been unsealed. The Lord would deposit things in the Word that, y'all remember that contact commercial, that time-release medicine? Yeah, I know, but if you're, if you're uh, over the age of uh, something... You may remember it. It was a capsule, and they would break that capsule open, and all those little pellets would fall out, and it would be uh, contact the time release release capsule. Like a little let, it would let a little out at a time. Well, Revelation is kind of like that. It's time it's time sensitive. Uh, it's tucked away in the Word, and and the Lord will not let it be unsealed and revealed until the generation for whom. It belongs to whom it belongs. And so here you have some truth tucked away, but then it's able to be revealed at an appropriate time. Jesus said, man shall not live, talking to the devil, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word that, that there is always a proceeding word, a word for today. Give us this day, our daily bread, bread being a type of the word, there's, there's a revelation for this day, for this era. The psalmist said, this is the day the Lord has made. It was, it was not just a particular moment, it was an era. Uh, it's a time. There's a time when word could not be understood and then it could be understood. Why? Because the time was right. Uh, let, let me show you this in, in Matthew 13. This, this came to my mind. Uh, this afternoon as I was looking at this. Matthew 13, verse number 10. Check this out. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even, that, uh, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Listen to this. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them is the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled, which says, 
Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Do you see where this was a, a choice of the hearer and the viewer to close their ears and to shut their eyes? Like, it's that kind of thing. I am not going to hear. I am not going to see. But look at verse 16, and this is where you get some revelation with 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes. Now, who is he talking to here? He's talking to his disciples who have been following him and listening to him and asking him questions. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Like you've opened your eyes, you've opened your, your hearing, you've opened your heart. And then he says this, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men, would you say those are good guys? Those are the good guys. They desired, that's the key, they desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Why? These are the good guys. They did not see, they did not hear, and they were good guys. Why? It wasn't time for it to be seen. It wasn't time for it to be heard. But he said, but blessed are your ears, uh, your ears and your eyes because you, the, I, the implication is you desire. If you want to see truth, God will step over everybody else and his brother to show you truth. But if you don't want to see truth, he could, Jesus Christ himself could come in the flesh and stand before you and teach you a Bible study and you'll say, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand at all. Why? Because you don't want to see. If you desire truth, Jesus will show it to you. If it's time, he, he will show it to you. And so here you have this idea of kind of time release revelation. It's this idea of him showing truth. And so Daniel is seeing things. He's one of the good guys. He's a prophet. He's seeing things that he don't understand. He's writing it down, putting it in a message, and he doesn't understand it. And you'll see this as we go deeper into the reading. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. After I arose and went about the king's business, I was astonished by the vision but no one understood it, right? I, I love what Gleason Archer says. He says he, he may have been puzzled about why the Lord permitted even this, this brief but brutal oppression under the little horn or this king. So that may have disturbed him. That was a disturbing, a disturbing thing, the people of God suffering like that. David Guzik says this, Daniel did, I love this too, Daniel didn't let either spiritual mysteries or physical weakness keep him from doing his duty. This shows us that our interest in prophecy should make us more concerned with our king's business and not less concerned about it. I like that. I like that, that parallel. F.B. Meyer says, he would have counted it a great slur on his religious life it, if it could have been said that his visions and exercises interfered with his service to the king. 
Now, the idea is he served his king. It was his job, but the F.B. Meyer and Guzik are saying we shouldn't let our dis be distracted with prophecy to the uh, exclusion of our living for God. 1 Corinthians 15 is this great resurrection chapter. It's loaded with revelation. It's, it's just, it's incredible. It speaks of end time things. Then the kingdom will be handed over to the Father by the Son, and, and then it will be fulfilled, which is said, death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is your victory? It's this ultimate epic conclusion to, to the massive story that is redemption story. And, and the last verse, it concludes like this. Therefore, you know why therefore is in there? You gotta know, you gotta know what therefore is there for. It's it's therefore, because of all this stuff, the, the end time events that are wrapping up and the information that you're being fed, therefore, because of all that I've showed you, he says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. As we look into prophecy, may we not be so distracted that we're paralyzed. May it motivate us to get into the harvest field, to tell people about Jesus, to pray and fast and seek the face of God and get deeper into the word and closer to God than ever before. Give the Lord some praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. If you're looking at prophecy and it's freaking you out and you're scared, you're looking at it wrong. I hope I never come across like is that doomsday. I, I used to go to this Bible uh, prophecy guys meetings. I went to a couple of them. I mean, they always freaked me out. There was a couple of guys that did Bible prophecy. And at the end of the Bible prophecy stuff, man, I'm just going to tell you that there was one of them that he would show a film. And at the, at the end of the film, it was people at a guillotine and the and the and and they're like and if you stand for Jesus, this will happen to you. And they put their head in the guillotine, and the blade comes down, sink, and the and the the screen goes black, and and then the the music comes, and the preacher's like, anybody want to pray? <laughs> and I was a kid, man. I'm like, I do. I want to. I was like scared. He was he was talking, and there's scriptures talking about beheading and the tribulation, all this kind of stuff. And this film that he would show, it, it, it just freaked me out. And, and there was another guy that he would get off on the nuclear, you know, uh, uh, mutual assured destruction. And, and so he would say the, the elements are going to burn up with a fervent heat. And he literally, this is way back. I don't know how complicated it must have been. But he had film uh, like playing on the back and the screen behind him while he was preaching. And he was like, mutual assured destruction. That's how this will be fulfilled. The elements will melt with a fervent heat, Peter said. And when, when you're standing here on the earth and the Russians fire their missiles and America fires their missiles, and in the background there's missiles being fired, you can see it like... And it takes the ICBM two and a half minutes to get... And, it, and then it's like you see like mushroom clouds... And, 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 and the organist comes to the orchestra, starts playing pretty sad music. And then, and then he would say, uh, bye-bye, sinner friend. Anybody want to pray? And, and again, I'm the low-hanging fruit. I was like, I do, I do, I want to pray. I was terrified. And, and the hundreds would flock to the altar, you know, and then like after a few weeks it wore off, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't know about that all, you know. 
Woo. <laughs> but if prophecy like freaks you out, scares you, you're looking at it wrong. It should fill you with anticipation and hope and faith. God is for me. He's not against me. I'm on the winning side. It's really the other side that ought to be worried. And that's where deception comes in. The devil comes in to say, it's going to be all right. It, there ain't nothing to worry about. That's what Noah's generation was saying, nothing to worry about, you know. And, and, and the truth is, it, there was something to worry about for those cats, but for Noah and his family, wasn't nothing to worry about. I'm going to get in a boat. There ain't no rudder or anything like that. The Lord's going to lead it and guide it. I'm going to come on the other side to a new heaven and a, and a new earth. You know, anytime you cough in today's world, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you know, excuse me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so, where was I? I got so, when chapter 8 concludes with nobody understood it, it's not because God didn't want anybody to understand it. God, God doesn't say things so nobody understands it, right? The reason why no one understood it was because the division was sealed up until the generation. I believe we see things now they didn't see then. Proverbs 25.2 said, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Deuteronomy 29.29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. The Lord conceals things like in those parables, not from us, but for us. So when you're hungry and you desire, you start seeing stuff. How many of you, like, I'm going to tell you, the, and I'm hung up on this for a second, but or for a few minutes, but uh, the religion can just put blinders on you. And you see orthodoxy or you see the status quo or you see what traditions of men have said. You just see this. That's all you can see. And it's just a religious blinder. But Jesus has come to give sight to the blind. I was blind, but now I see. I'll never forget when I started diving into the, I emptied my truth box out years ago, man, when I was a young man coming back to the Lord. I said, God, I don't know what's true anymore. I'm just going to go ahead and dump all my religious ideations out. And Lord, I'm going to get into the word and just help me to put the stuff in that matters. Like I'm hungry for you. And the Lord helped me with that. And there were some things I never put in my truth bucket ever again. You know why? Because they weren't true. Some of us have never, ever done that. I want to encourage you, do that. I Sometimes young people come up to me, they're like, Pastor, i got some questions. And I'm like, good. I hope they're good questions. You never get good answers until you ask good questions. But be careful in what spirit you're asking those questions. Is it defiant? I'm asking these questions to justify and find an excuse for my own carnal behavior. Or is it I'm hungry for you, Lord? You, you can see a question of belief versus a question of unbelief. Zechariah said, how can I have a kid? I'm old. Elizabeth's old. You kidding me? And the angel said, mm, you're not going to be able to say anything. You ask him with the wrong, in the wrong tone of voice. 
So John couldn't, Zechariah couldn't say anything until John was being named. And they said, let's name him Zechariah. And he said, bring me up something to write. He's like, his name is John. And when he got his words in agreement, then boom, he was able to speak. And they began to rejoice and praise God. Mary said, how can I have a kid? That's impossible. She was asking an honest question from a believing heart. You see that in the next phrase because the angel said, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. She said, ooh, be it unto me according to your word. Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. So the way you ask the questions, it, it, man, that's really good. I don't know if you realize how good that is. That's really good right there. So now we're in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, or Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. I love this. This is Daniel reading the book of Jeremiah. One prophet reading another prophet. And he's understanding things. Daniel 9 is one of the most amazing prophetic passages in the Bible. It's, it's, it's epic. It begins with Daniel being able to understand and apply a portion of Scripture that he had been studying. When the lights come on, y'all, that is such a powerful moment in your world. When you start seeing truth, and he started seeing something and understanding something from the Word. The Word, again, is meant to be understood. He, the Lord doesn't just say things so we can have weird words. And so I have no idea what that means, but it sounds holy, you know. It's to be understood. And, and we'll never be omniscient on this side of glory, you know, knowing all things at all times. But the main, the main points, the ideas are hidden in there for us. There are nuggets in the word that are deposited for the express purpose of being exposited. And Daniel understood by the books. I love that. He's studying the Bible. Daniel understood something by chewing on it. He had been chewing on it, reading the book of Jeremiah, just, just hanging out in there, and he started to see something. It came alive. Now, hundreds of years later, Paul would write to Timothy and say in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And so this inspired word, the Lord began to breathe the breath of it into Daniel's spirit. He began to see things. Gleason Archer Jr. says this, These verses show Daniel as a diligent student of Scripture who built his prayer life on the Word of God. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this, Oh, that you studied your Bibles more. Oh, that we all did. How we could plead the promises. How often we should prevail with God when uh, we could hold him to his word and say, Fulfill this word unto thy servant, whereon thou hast caused me to hope. Oh, it's Grand praying when our mouth is full of God's word, for there is no word that can prevail with him like his own. God, I love that. This is powerful. So he sees the number of years specified by the word of God through Jeremiah. Daniel knew that uh, there was something to this 70 years. Now, this is from Jeremiah 
Jeremiah 25, 11 through 13, and I'm, I'm starting to come to a close here. Uh, Jeremiah 25, 11 through 13, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Where is he? Babylon. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. For thus says the Lord, this is Jeremiah 29, 10, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. The very next verse, verse 11, is one that we hang on our walls and stuff. But in context, this is where it's coming from. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. It's speaking of the end of the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And, and Daniel saw this as 70 literal years. And, and not symbolic, and, and he was familiar with already the, the fulfillment of God's word because Isaiah, we looked at it, had prophesied that there would be a king named Cyrus that would come onto the throne. Daniel lived to see a guy named Cyrus ascending in power and then becoming the king. How encouraging would that have been? Imagine if the Lord had said, you know, drop you know, a, a president's name. I hate to say one because you'll say, wow, that's so pick your president. But your favorite president, if you didn't know, and the Lord gave you a name you had never heard of and said, this guy's going to be the president. And you're like, oh, I don't know if that was me or if that was God. And then you see a guy with that name rising in power, and you're like, that was God. Wow. Daniel was encouraged because he saw Cyrus come on the scene. And now he's looking at this prophecy and starting to say, could it be 70 years? Because Isaiah had said this. Now Jeremiah, Isaiah talked about Cyrus. Now Jeremiah's talking about 70 years. And, and here's an interesting thought. Daniel believed that God would accomplish 70 years when it came to concluding that captivity. And those promises he saw as not something to just sit on and say, wow, God promised it. Time's almost up. Daniel this is so powerful, started praying for that promise to come to pass. And he's at least three years out, but he passionately and fervently began to pray, Lord, let it be. Set us free. Your word says, and I'm believing you for it. God's promises are an invitation for our prayers. John Calvin said this, nothing therefore can be better for us than to ask for what he has promised. This is a scriptural principle. We see it over and over. Stand with me right now. 2 Peter 3.11, listen to this. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, that's what that prophet that prophecy preacher would preach. But since all these things are going to be dissolved in a fervent heat with nuclear ice, I, you know, used to freak me out. This is the, this, the verse after that. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Notice, looking for and hastening. There's an indication here that we hasten or we can hasten the Lord's coming. He said it by our conduct and godly lives. Paul said there was this thing called the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans 11.25. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. The gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So, so it looks as if Daniel is praying for a speedy fulfillment. That's what I'm getting to. He's like, what you said you would do, do it. Do it as soon as possible. Do not delay. And, and God would use those prayers to make that promise come to pass. I'm going to say something. Your prayers are powerful. When God promises things, don't just sit back. Begin to pray those promises. When you see that promise, begin to pray that promise. In Jesus' name, I'm believing for that, Lord. I'm believing for that, Lord. Daniel prevailed in prayer. And I'm going to tell you, you could look at when the 70 years started three ways. You could go back to 605 BCE when Jerusalem was attacked and Daniel and the other captives were taken away to Babylon. You could go to 597 BCE where Jerusalem was attacked and treasure was taken from the temple. Or you could go to 587 BCE where Jerusalem falls and the nation was exiled. David wanted God to use the earliest of those dates because you had years in the balance. In other words, there's 18 years to play here. I don't know if you're following me, but there were, there were 18 years where you could go back and start the beginning of the 70 years. And Daniel was saying, God, please use the earliest date. I don't know which one you got in mind, but please use the earliest one so we can get out of here as quick as possible. And God answered that prayer. I'm going to tell you something. Your prayers make a difference. They make a difference. Amen. Amen. I'm done. Your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.